this morning. Lord Jesus, your spirit is here to speak to us. Father God, exalt your son, the Lord Jesus, in this place. Spirit of God, tear our hearts open. Focus our minds. Remove the distractions. Instill a birth of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Part 6 of the Gospel of Mark. Part 6 of the Gospel of Mark. And today I'm entitling this sermon, Am I Resting or Wrestling? Am I Resting or Wrestling? Don't forget my Telegram channel. Prayer every morning for you before you go to work. Make sure that you, uh, make sure you've got that downloaded. Make sure that you're part of home groups. Yesterday, two or three home groups met. I think you had a good time. May the Lord continue to bless you uh, as you go to uh, home group every week. Every week in fellowship in a home group. What's it like for you? What's home group like for you? What's church like for you? What's it like to be in a prayer group or to be part of a fellowship group? Has it been difficult? Has it been irksome? Has it been a challenge? Is it something that is too boring, too disconnected, too irrelevant to your life? Or is it something that uh, is great, but when you get there, it's fantastic, like gym. You know, when you get to gym, it's great. But till you get there, you know, you just really don't want to go. Is home group like that? What's it, what's it like? What has your walk of faith been? I don't know where you're at, different parts of the journey. I don't know where you're at. But what's your faith life, faith walk, faith journey been like? Is faith and religion a bunch of rules that bind you? Or is it a bunch of people that you bond with? Have you been wrestling with the expectations and the obligations that your faith and your faith community places on you? Has it become irksome? Or is it a joy? Are you resting in the commandments or are the commandments burdensome? Do you get where I'm going with this? Are you resting in the commandments or the commandments burdensome? Commandments are an interesting thing. I'll talk more about it in just a bit. But commandments can either be a protective measure or it could be a noose around your neck. It could be shackles. Have you been resting? You're thinking, where is that peace of mind that every believer is supposed to have? You know, where is that peace of Where is that freedom, that liberty we're supposed to have as believers? The joy that I'm supposed to have as a believer, as, as one who knows Jesus. Well, Jesus has a few things to say to you this morning to help you rest in his sufficiency. So listen and take a promise home with you today. Take a promise. Look for a promise that you can build on, that you can live on. So jumping into the Gospel of Mark, I'm not going to do too much of a preview or a review. I just want you to uh, kind of revisit it, what you've heard. And of course, it's all on YouTube and in the, on podcasts. You can go back and listen to it. And people are, are trying to figure who this Jesus is. Who do you think you are? Where do you think you've come from? Where do you get your power from? Where do you get your authority from? They're trying to figure Jesus out. And one group is, 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 is rushing in his direction. Lord, we love you. Lord, we believe in you. Another group is saying, you know what? I'm out. Time out. I, I, I don't get this guy. It's too much for me. Another group is saying, this guy is danger. We need to kill him. We need to take him down. We need to kill him. So while the first question they asked had to do with the kind of company they were keeping, why, do your, uh, why does this Jesus of yours hang out with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he having such a great time when we are all miserable? The second question comes in, in uh, raising the issue of why Jesus was just enjoying life with such degenerates and such uh, sinners. 
So the first question was, what kind of company does he keep? The second question is, why is he having such a good time when religion is supposed to be very pious and quiet and, and contemplative and, and monastic? Jesus has already made it clear that he has come to convert sinners and not to convert the self-righteous. He's come to convert sinners to saints, not to, uh, to complement the self-righteous. And now, now, today, he is showing how he has come to bring gladness instead of sadness. So, he's come to bring gladness and not sadness. Glee and not gloom. Yay and not bleh. That's the life he wants to bring. He wants to bring joy into your life. Not a bunch of rules. Not another book to study. Not another pathway to consider. He's come to be with you. You get that? I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. It's not something that's left to your cognitive uh, skills. It's not something left to your research skills. It's not left to your strength and ability or inability to reach him, find him, please him. He's come to bring joy into your life. And if there is no joy in your life, or you're struggling with religion, struggling with faith, struggling with your walk with God, trying to find it in service, trying to find it in giving, trying to find it in some uh, other way, then you need to step back and say, Jesus, why did you die on the cross for me? What, what, what did you have in mind? I'm here, Lord. I'm here. The primary goal of my life is for you to enjoy me and me to enjoy you. When a baby is born into a family, the mother goes through that pain of childbirth and she brings the baby into the family. And the baby is enjoyed by the mother and enjoyed by the father far more than the baby enjoys the mother or the father. You get this? You get this? For the primary years, the, in, 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 the inter, introduction years of a child's life, the child is not enjoying the parents as much as the parents are enjoying the children. Later on, we enjoy the support of the kid. We enjoy the, 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 the wisdom of the kid. We enjoy the kid growing up and then, of course, eventually looking after us. But think about the first few years. Children are there for our pleasure. Children are there for our pleasure. Later on, they become a pain in the wrong end. But initially, they are there for our pleasure. And babies, before they have an opinion, we love them. We take pictures and we're just showing off and Instagramming and Facebook. God saved you, God loved you from the very beginning, God redeemed you so he can enjoy you. This is not about you, this is about God. All you have to do is let him, let him. Put a smile on your face and let him. Cry if you have to, he will take care of you. He wants to enjoy you. This is not religion, this is a relationship. And this is a relationship of a father and a son, a mother and a baby. This is a relationship of care, of love, and of not, de not doom and gloom, but glee and party. John's disciples. John had another rough time, and his disciples also struggled with the whole idea. John was an austere man, you know, a recluse, wilderness and, and wild honey kind of guy, you know. He, was, he, he avoided parties, but Jesus was going to all the parties. John didn't have a Facebook account. Jesus had two. Jesus was all over the place. Jesus was going over the friend number and going into multiple accounts. You get what I'm saying? Jesus was everywhere. So this perturbed John, we can still handle him. I mean, okay. He comes across as somewhat of a religious nut, but at least religious. But Jesus, he was hanging out with everyone. He was going to every party. He was all over the place. Oh. 
And they struggled with that because he did not confine himself to the law. He did not confine himself to the law. Legalism. Have you heard that word? Legalism. It's some people's religion. Thanks to legalism, the legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish religion had become such a burdensome thing for the people there. It had become such a pain, such a burden to bear. And Jesus was watching. He was watching. He's walking through the streets. <coughs> He's sitting outside the temple. He's seeing that widow woman having to put her two mites. He's watching all of this carefully. And he's seeing how the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leadership, had taken what he considered as protective care commandments and made it a cumbersome bondage. Made it a cumbersome bondage. It made it a choke around the people so that they lived so narrow in their thinking that the only people in control were the religious leadership. And he watched this and it made him angry. So when you hear and see words like he was angry, he was grieved, you got to stop and ask, hey, when Jesus gets upset, you want to notice what it is all about. When, when he gets upset, when he's mad at something, you got to stop and ask, what is he mad at? Because he, has, he always gets mad at something that God intended for good, but man took to an extreme. In your head, say it with me. God intended it for good, but man took it to an extreme. God wanted a relationship. Man turned it into a religion. God made commands to protect you. Commands to keep you, commands to preserve you, to sustain you, so that you are a purer breed for a longer period of time. And God had those commands in mind in the loving way. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, God says. But man has taken those commandments, broken it down, made you know multiple you know points and of it, and created a, a chain network so that you can't even remember. You can't even remember. Joshua, the book of Joshua talks about how they had limited even the amount you travel. Your phone steps should not go more than 200 steps. 200 steps on a, on, on a Sabbath. 200 steps, you stand still. You can't even do 200 steps. How? God is like, what? When did I say that? You walk. Go to Lodi Garden and walk. He didn't say don't do, and these guys are gone. And so so they, have, they have used traditions or built traditions to kind of, and Jesus kept watching. And he kept seeing how the church, how the leadership, how religion, how self-righteous people have created an outward appearance of piety while they stink of a cave, a, 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 a corpse inside. They stink of a, of a grave inside. You whitewashed tombs, he, he called them. So we want to be, you know, we want to figure out what is this that Jesus is getting upset about. They had made it such, the poor people were weighed down by the rules that were impossible to obey. And it would mostly affect the poor. Somehow it would mostly affect the poor. Nothing new with that, right? Look at this verse. Read it with me. Just lip it with me. They, uh, Matthew chapter 23 verse 4. They tie up high, heavy loads. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Ha! Wow. That's religiosity. That's tradition. That's customary. That's things when you take something that was just a habit and you turn it into a ritual. You turn it into what is sacred. And what is sacred is thrown out the window. 
Here's the tragedy. I want to give you some background before I get into the text here. The, the tragedy is that, you know how the Pharisees actually got started? They were a group of people that really loved God. They really loved God. They were, they were genuine, let's say, you know, first generation believers. They were people who just loved the Lord and they were like, you know what? The Messiah must come. The Messiah must come. We believe in the Messiah coming. We want the Messiah to come. And the scripture said that if you obey the law, they had to come up with this thing that if you obey all the laws and you keep the law, that you will hasten the coming of the Messiah. Did everybody get that? You will hasten. He will come sooner if you keep the law. So this was a situation where they wanted everybody to wear the masks, but everybody was not wearing the masks. Only some people were wearing the masks. And if you all wear the mask, then Corona will go away. But Corona is not going away because all are not wearing the mask. So we make it a rule. Nay, we make it a burden that you wear a mask. Now some are wearing it out of... And some are wearing it out of... What all Galia is going on, we don't know. We don't know. But finally, they lifted it for airplane travel. And now you can fly, you know, maskless. That was their problem. Their problem was, we are keeping the law. You are keeping the law. My cousin is keeping the law. But everybody else is not keeping the law. So we can't just keep the law on our own. The whole nation has to keep the law for the Messiah to come. I don't want to be responsible for the delay of the Messiah's coming because you can't wear a mask. Are you getting it? So can you tell the relationship between the people and the mask wearers? The people and the religious leadership. People and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Those who went to every jot and tittle of the text. This is what it says. See the law. See, this is what it says. This word, this is what it says. This, you can't go out of this. And it has to be the same version as well. If it's not this version, it's not the word of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? We are diseased in that direction. We just want to turn it into something that looks pious on the outside. And they started out okay. They started out with such a lovely, noble cause that if we were to obey all the law, if we were to keep the law as a nation, the Messiah would come. And here is all these people doing whatever they want. And then you get a rabbi like Jesus coming in and saying, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Come, let's party. Come, let's get together. Let's mix with all the others who are violated with being in business with the Gentiles. Let's get everybody together. Hmm. He's messing up the whole thing. We need to get rid of him. So sad. So sad. They were waiting for the Messiah but missed the Messiah because of the rules they had set up. They were so full of the commands, they missed the commander. So full of the law of life that they missed the Lord of life. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came to him. People, people, not the Pharisees, not the disciples. The people generally came to him. And they had been observing three groups of uh, people, three uh, denominations. You've got this denomination, they are fasting. That denomination, they are fasting. Jesus, your denomination, not fasting. What is wrong? Why do you John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But your disciples do not fast. And we are fasting. They are feasting. Crabs and all. 
And Jesus' answer to them is very interesting. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests, so he takes that whole analogy that everybody is very familiar with in the Jewish uh, mindset there. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? That's odd. That, that shouldn't happen. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot, read your Bible, they cannot fast. They cannot fast. There's no meaning in the fasting when the bridegroom is right there. The fasting will come later when I will go away and they will be separate from me and they'll wait for my return. And in that time, they will fast and prepare themselves for my coming back. There will be a time to fast, but right now I'm with them. So it's about me. It's about me. Fasting is about me. Fasting is about me. If I'm here, you don't need to fast. If I'm your food, you don't need to fast. Are you getting this? What's the second question? The second question is about Sabbath. Sabbath is about rest. If I am your rest, you don't need to worry. I will be your rest. If I am with you, it's about me. It's about me being here with you. These are the, lo the, the commands I gave you to sustain yourself while I'm away, while you're waiting, while you're wanting, while you're searching. But now that I'm with you, now that you have found me, you can let those things go. Why? Because I'm not expecting you to keep the law. I'm going to keep the law and I am expecting you to ride on my shoulders. I'm going to keep the law and I'm expecting you to ride on my shoulders. Self-righteousness comes to, to a Jesus who has kept the law and say to Jesus, I can also keep the law. That's self-righteousness. And that's pride. Satan, Isaiah 14, said to God, I will be like the Most High God. I will be like the Most High God. That's pride. And for pride, he fell from heaven. So the Jews were very familiar with a marriage analogy. Israel with God was a marriage analogy. The church and Jesus is a marriage analogy. In fact, when they went away to serve other gods, it was called spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery and it attracted a punishment and it was corrected over periods of time, seven times through the book of Deuteronomy. John the Baptist himself saw the same analogy in John chapter 3. He says, he who has the bride is the groom. He who has the bride is a groom, but the groom's friend, that's the best man, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is now complete. Jesus now has the groom. I back away. He must increase. And I must decrease. John the Baptist got it. The Jews got it. The analogy that when the bridegroom is here, you don't need to fast. Now is the time to feast. That's what Christian life is all about. In fact, a commitment for life to one who loved you and the one who wanted to belong, wanted, you wanted to belong to. When you say I do when you get married, you're making a public proclamation that I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. Let's grow old together. Let's grow old together. Let's do life together. Let's fight every battle together. Let's take on every opposition together. Let nothing come between us. That's what marriage is all about. It's not fun and games and it's not romance and, and roses. You can throw those in every now and then, but it gets boring over a period of time. What is the real fun is winning. Winning together is the real fun. When you fight something else instead of fighting each other, that's a win. When you see in each other your partner, that's a win. When you can get each other's back so that both of you have four eyes and you're able to completely protect yourself, that's a win. When you don't allow somebody to come between, that's a win. And the spiritual life is the same. When you said yes to Jesus, you said, I'm going to marry you till death do us apart. And in this case, death do us four. When you said yes to Jesus, you said, Lord, let's do life together. You didn't say, I'll see you and meet you on Sundays. He didn't say, I'll see you in church. 
You said, let's do life together. Now do life together. That's what it's about. When a bride is married, she bears his name, shares his wealth, the power, enjoys his love and protection, and one day living in his glorious home in heaven. That's what the bride of Christ is. We are married to Christ, so to speak, and life becomes a wedding feast. Even though the trials and tribulations come in, life becomes a wedding feast. Now here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I want, I love you. Jesus is saying, I love you. I have given you absolutely everything. In fact, when I gave you that last drop of blood, there was nothing more I could give you. Philippians chapter 2 says, I emptied myself out of absolutely everything for you. So much so that the Father can enjoy you. The Father wants you. I want you. And we have done and gone the distance for you. How far are you willing to come? How far are you willing to come? I'm not going to entertain religiosity. I'm not going to entertain tradition. I want a real heart. I want genuine heart. It's not about the law. It's about the Lord. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about commands. It's about the commander. The problem with mixing the old and the new is what failed before, you're now trying to use the same system to succeed again. And Jesus says, I'm coming in with something new. So you can't bring in and mix the old. These people wanted to mix the old. No one sues a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch will tear away from the, from the new one when it's, when it's washed or, or, or worse, worse still, even tear. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. Both the wineskin and the wine is destroyed. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. I just sat there and stared at it and said, Lord, what are you saying here? You've got to leave the old behind. You have got to leave the old behind. What didn't work in your previous life? The life of trials, the life of difficulties, when you were trying to be holy rather than trusting, when you were wrestling instead of resting, what did you try that didn't work? Let it go. Let it go. What are the things that came between you and God and you thought it was supposed to take you closer to God but it actually took you away from God? What are the blessings that have become a curse now? Like your job. Let it go. If it didn't work for you then, it won't work for you now. Come to Jesus and say, Lord, fresh start, new way, new beginnings. Tell me what to fix. Tell me how to... He says, I've come not to fix the old, but to give you something fresh, give you something new. Jesus came to call sinners, not self-righteous. Jesus came to bring gladness, not sadness. And Jesus came to introduce a new thing, not to patch up the old, not to fix a broken life. He didn't come saying, come, I'll give you a better life. Let's go into your past and let's figure this whole thing out. No, he says, die, die. Let me take you to the cross and let me, let me nail you there. Let me give you your new life. Let me give you a new memory. Let me give you a new heart. Let me give you a new spirit. Let me put a heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. Let me give you uh, promises to live on. Let me give you a complete new future. Let's script this life together. That's what Jesus says to you today. Philosophy, ideology, religion, and well-meaning people try to fix an old life. Come, come bring the old pieces together and they want to not let go of certain things, certain issues, certain old things that, that, that began to identify you. It became your identity. Huh. I'm, a, I'm a, let's say I'm a rape victim. That's an identity. I'm a troubled child. That's an identity. I'm a divorcee. That's an identity. 
You get what I'm saying? You're coming from the identity of your past and Jesus doesn't fix that. He says, let it go. I'm going to give you something new. You're not going to be recognized for your old stuff in heaven and in God's community. When people walk through this community, we recognize them for who they're going to be in heaven, not who they have been in hell. Jesus came not to fix the old broken system, but to introduce a new commandment, a new covenant, a new way of living. And people liked this, by the way. They liked it. They liked his new book. They liked his interview on Oprah. They loved it. They were like, this is good. I'm going to take that and I'm going to take that. That's good. Oh, oh let me take a note on that. I'm going to take that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. They want the same old casing. They want to be the same old person. They want the same old ways of thinking, doing, and feeling. But they want a little bit of Jesus in them. A little bit of Jesus on a Sunday morning. A little bit of Jesus in their life. You can't do that. You can't do that. They want an external show of piety while gaining the power of what Christ was offering. You can't do that. To this, Jesus clarified that he was ushering them into a new realm of love, of power, and of life. Listen, the casing of the old cannot be the casing of the new. The casing of the old cannot be the casing of the new. If you're starting again, start afresh. If you're starting again, start afresh. One or the other is going to come undone if you try to take the old with the new. Jesus came to usher in something new, not unite with the old. The Old Testament is not wrong. The Old Testament is not a mistake. The Old Testament is completed in the new. But you do leave the old behind. You do leave the old behind. Let me give you three examples. Number one, Jesus says a new commandment. A new covenant in my blood. Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is talking about the, he's doing the last supper and he says this is a new covenant in my blood. I'm writing you a new covenant. Different priest, different blood, different sacrifice. Let's start again. Let's do this right. Let's get it right. Number two, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're not on your own. You're not going to do this on your own. I will not leave you alone. I will send my spirit. My spirit, the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you. He will be your counselor and he will train you. He will, uh, he will counsel you. He will show you how to live. He will give you the strength to say no to sin. He will give you the strength. He will give you discernment. How to live and how to walk away. When you feel weak, when you feel bored of spiritual stuff, he will revive you. He will energize you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Read with me verse 3. For God has done what the law... Read with me, please. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, religion could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh that is in Jesus in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us not in the flesh but in us who are we who walk together who walk not loudly who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit let's do that again who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Religion, relationship. My power, God's power. God does not ask you to do anything. He doesn't give the power to do. But you know another thing? God does not ask you to do anything. He does not give you the desire to do. He does not give you the desire to do. So if you're not desirous of it, you probably don't know him. You need to come back to him and res resume the love relationship. 
Resume the love relation. Number one, number three, new creation. All things are passed away. All things are passed away. All things are passed away. Everything has become new. So Jesus goes into the Sabbath story and he says, I am your rest. I am your feast. I am your food. You don't need to fast when I'm around. And you don't need to work hard when I'm around. I am your rest. I fulfill the rest. You can focus on your work. You can focus on God's work in you. You can focus on the good things that I'm doing through you. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you not read what David did? Well, David was hungry, his men were hungry, and he went into the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence. Now that wasn't lawful for the priest to do. Uh, uh, not was lawful for anybody to do, except the priest, only the priest could eat that bread. And also uh, he gave that bread to the others who were with him. David did what was wrong, and David was the king. He was the king of Israel who did something that was wrong. That was actually wrong. But we are not even breaking the laws. We're only breaking traditions that you have made. Number one, number two, he was the king. I am the Lord of the Sabbath I'm the Lord of the Sabbath so he said to them the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath don't put rules ahead of relationship you're going to mess everything up don't put rules ahead of relationship you are going to mess everything up I have come that they might have life and life abundant I have come that they might have life and the life abundant so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath he goes into the temple and over there, he sees a man with a withered hand. And that man is just sitting there. He only come for the service. He didn't know what was going to happen. And as he was sitting there, people were going to uh, check whether he was going to heal this man. Because in some way, that was work on the Sabbath. How could you possibly say that even the work of God is not acceptable on a Sabbath? How could you possibly say that even the work of God? You're saying even healing cannot happen on a Sabbath? How religious do you have to be? How dead in your traditions do you have to be that even God cannot work on your Sabbath? For only God can do miracles. So they sought to see whether he will heal him on a Sabbath. They wanted to accuse him and find something to take him down with. And Jesus said to the man, come here. And then he asked everybody, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To, do, to save life or to kill? Pretty easy question. But they didn't know what to answer. Any answer would have been stupid. So they kept quiet. And he looked around with anger. Circle anger. Grieved. Circle grieved. Hardness of heart. Circle hardness of heart. For those are the three fruit of religiosity. There's the three fruit of what God thinks of our traditions. If there is no relationship. Anger, grieved, and hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And he did. And it was restored. And that wasn't even the point of the matter. The main point is, Sabbath was made so that you can rest. Sabbath was made so that you can rest. But even when you're resting, God is working. I'm bigger than your traditions, Jesus is saying. I'm bigger than your problems. I'm nearer than your adversaries. I'm greater than your enemies. I'm stronger than your opposition. I'm purer than the best of you. Don't give me laws. I am the Lord. And I'm not here to point fingers. I'm here 
to stretch out a hand of fellowship. I've got you. I've got you. I'm going to heal you anyway. Even if you don't know what you've done wrong, even if you don't know if you were right or the sin, I will heal you anyway. I will answer your prayer anyway. This is not performance-based. This is compassion-based. I will love you anyway. Even if you fall a hundred times, I will pick you up. I'll get you through this no matter what. I won't give up on you. If everyone else gives up on you, I won't give up on you. I'm not going to turn on you no matter how far you run, no matter what you do against me. I will not turn on you. Come, I am here to be good for you. I'm not asking you to be good. I'm going to be good for you. My yoke is easy. I am perfect. You rest on my perfection. Let me carry you. I am Jesus. You are not. Come as you are. Let me carry you. Let me complete you. Let me cleanse you. To this Jesus invites you. And those who receive that invitation, we call them Christians. To this Jesus invites you. He's not interested in your traditions or your sacrifices. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifices, in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah chapter 6, Does the Lord take delight in the thousands of rams that you're killing? The, the, the bulls and rams that you're killing? In the 10,000 rivers of oil? Is that what he takes delight in? Is he wanting you to bring more offering? More offering? Give more offering? Oh, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Say it with me, everyone. But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Together like you believe it. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the goal of life. Repeat it with me one more time. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. Are you resting in his perfection? Are you resting in his sufficiency, in his care? Or are you wrestling with guilt and condemnation, rules and obligations, guilt and condemnation, rules and obligation. Who do you think needs to hear this message? Is there someone you're going to give the link to? Is there someone who's wallowing in sin, wallowing in guilt? Is there somebody who desperately needs Jesus to pick them out of that, of the shackles of commandments and doom and gloom? Is there someone that needs to hear this beautiful message that Christ is complete and I am complete in him. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeremy Dawson and if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.